What happens when we die? Are you a person who believes that this is it? That we flicker into and out of existence like earthbound fireflies, here and then gone? That we're nothing more than a brief and random collision of chemicals and molecules and atoms? Or do you believe that humans are gifted with something eternal, something we call a soul? Do you believe that your choices in this world determine your place in the next world? An afterlife of paradise for the righteous, infinite fire and torment for the rest. Or maybe you believe in an eternal soul that recycles itself lifetime after lifetime, hard experience polishing away our very human imperfections until we achieve enlightenment and are at last ready to rejoin the eternal flame that is the creator. What if you could know? What if you did know what happens when we die? Would that change the way you live? And then they got a small beam of light against the James Van Prague is a best-selling author, television producer, and personality. He's a native of Queens. He's a Virgo. But beyond all of that everyday kind of stuff, James is a clairvoyant and a medium. So what does that mean, really? James joined us to talk about some big ideas, what this human life is truly all about, what happens when we die, and how all of us have the ability to tap into so much more than our limited senses can show us. Everybody is psychic or intuitive from one degree or another. So that's the sixth sense. We're all born with six senses, not five. And that's, if you want to say it's our instinct. Uh, as, as babies with their mothers, there's a connection, there's a telepathic instinctual connection between the two. So, so it's a very early age is that survival instinct as well. So, and, and as babies, that's how we survive. And we, um, I think ch young children, toddlers, they get probably around the age of seven or eight, are very, very open. They're very innocent. They use your in their intuition. They feel things, they have imagination and so forth. And then I believe around the age of seven, eight, they kind of get shut down a little bit by the adults, by the parents or the, the teachers or say, you have to behave this way in order to get it, you know, get the, this or get an A in your test to be accepted or whatever that might be. And for the child, I bet that means, oh, they might see it as, if I do the right thing, I'll be loved or they'll love me more. So I think we become people pleasers and we let go of what we're feeling and we get more to our head. So we become critical thinkers. We've got to figure out what they want us to do. And we let go of that kind of that innocence of that of that intuition, if you will. Um, most people, I never did, thank goodness. But um, so we all have that and it can be developed if you've if you've closed it down it certainly can be developed and opened up again no doubt about it a medium is someone who has a very strong sense of that psychic foundation a very strong intuitive grounding right grounding foundation but they're also able to uh bring up their uh vibrational frequency uh energy if you will that, that the power uh within their being their soul power i call it many things to a higher level of um, momentum of movement um, and it's a higher level of movement of frequency, if you will. And the spirit levels, the spirit worlds are on a higher level of frequency. Now, just around us, we have all around us here, this human 
world, there are different microwaves, gamma rays, X-rays, television waves, radio waves, and we don't see them. We don't see them, but we know they exist because they have televisions, radio, computers, here we are. But they're on another level. They're outside the human spectrum. So the medium is someone who's able to raise their frequency outside that human spectrum and able to receive, if you will, um, impressions, feelings, thoughts, memories, personalities of those who have passed over and bring through information. I'm a survival evidence medium, which means I bring through evidential details that the sitter, the recipient would know and the spirit would know. And that's what I do, uh, survival evidence medium. So very different than psychic. Everybody is psychic. Psychic is you're able to read energy at the moment. If you meet somebody or go to a certain place, you can feel this energy uh, in the, in the, in the, in the right there at that time from the past, present, and future. Um, and that's really what a psychic is. A psychic reading is someone who reads you in the, at that moment. And it's interesting because I believe that uh, a psychic perceives and a medium receives. You guys, I am not 100% clear on how a combustion engine works. I'm not totally sure what a spleen does or what a touchback is in football or how the power grid functions. And these are all tangible things in our chaotic physical world. So like you, I'm just as much confused as I am curious about the metaphysical world. We humans are sentient creatures aware that we are alive in this moment. And the flip side of that awareness of life is the knowledge of death. Our mortality stalks us every hour of our brief time here in this world. We may hold faith that there is something more than this physical slog, but there are times when that faith is threadbare, non-existent. Times when the knowledge and fear of our own end can blot out the light and the joy of being alive. Times when we lie in the dark with racing hearts, pleading for a sign, asking for proof. And if that proof appeared, would you accept it? Could you accept it? For James Van Prague, there was never much of a choice. As a little boy, I used to see spirit quite a bit. I used to see um, as a baby or a toddler, I guess maybe I was, I don't know, 18 months old. I'll never forget. I mean, I was in my crib in the back. My father brought me to the crib. And I said with a night owl then, because I wanted to stay up. And I remember I was crying my eyes out because I wanted to be in the living room with the rest of the people. And every evening, there'd be a white-haired gentleman in the corner of the room, and he'd come over to this, this crib or the bedding thing, whatever they had, and he would had a toy in his hands, and I'd play with that. And years later, I'm sitting with my grandmother, and she's going through a photograph album, and I said, wait a minute, who's that man with the white hair? And she said, oh, that's your grandfather. He died before you were born. I said, he used to come to me every night. And, um, and that was really what it was, that it wasn't all the time. It was, I'd go out and play with friends like on a Saturday morning and I'd see their loved ones behind them. Not all of them, some of them might see loved ones, but I thought everybody could see that. I thought everybody could see colors around people and you know auras and, and know things about people. That was what I thought. And my mother said to me uh, one night for saying prayers, I was raised very Catholic and didn't believe in per se, but I, I believe the Catholic thing, I guess, the angels. When I'm going to bed, she was saying prayers and kneeling down by the side of the bed. And I looked at my mom and said, Mom, who are those people at the end of the bed with the lights around them? And she said, oh, them? They're God's angels. I used to see them too when I was a little girl. They'll never hurt you. They'll always take care of you. And that was the beginning. That was really the validation from my mom. Growing up, James didn't really think that his psychic gifts were all that unusual. After all, this was the only way of being in the world that he'd ever known. 
What he wanted to do with his life was become a writer, but not just any old kind of writer. He wanted to be a TV sitcom writer. There's a lot of temp jobs to get into showbiz with sitcom writing. And I remember I was, I was working there and a friend of mine said, or I work at a talent agency, I'm sorry, William Morris Agency. And it was there that I'm, uh, my coordinator, um, I was playing I was playing staples out of contracts eight hours a week preparing it for microfiche. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> so, and, and I never saw anything of the spirit world cycling. And this lady came to me in the supervisor and she said, you want to see a medium? And I said, what's that? She said, he's someone who talks to dead people. I said, oh, you know, I don't really believe in that. I don't, you know, it's nothing I'm really into. I didn't, I didn't have any real belief system. But to humor her, I went to see this gentleman, Brian Hurst. Went to his place in Manhattan Beach, California, his apartment there. And I walked in with this, my friend Carol, and he looked at me and he said, you're a medium. I said, oh, okay. I guess it was kind of crazy, but okay. You know, the spirit people want to use you in two years' time. I said, oh, okay. And I just moved from the East Coast. It was a cynical New York. I'm like, okay, land of, land of fruit nuts in California. Okay, here we go. And anyway, he did bring through some incredible information of people that have passed over, names and details. So it got me just opened me up a little bit to think maybe there's something to this. And I used to go to a bookstore in LA called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore on Melrose Avenue. It was like the number one new age bookstore, a really big bookstore. And you were able to sit down in different areas. They had shares there and read. And every weekend I would go there and read everything about astral projections, psychic phenomena, auras, Edgar Casey, and all these different topics. And I found it was food to my soul. I thought, oh, this is so interesting. I would be a sponge, I couldn't take it. So I started meditating. Um, and I meditated really to visualize my future. I'm going to be a producer. I'll be well known as a producer, and and that's really what it was. Or as a writer, I didn't know how, but that's what it did. And and in the time, I did temporary jobs. I was working on Paramount Studios then uh, a little while later, and I remember a young lady came into the, my, the next cubicle over. Her name was Joe, Joe Dallas, and I said, um, Joe, there's a lady behind you. Oh my God, there's it's like this woman behind you. And the lady looked at me and it was a grandmother. She looked right at me and she telepathically connected with me. She said, this is my granddaughter. Tell her about the house in Idaho, the yellow house with white shutters and and the footstool cover. And I said, Joe, would you mind if I share this information? Um, there's a lady here and she's saying all these things. And Joe very calmly said, oh yeah, that's my grandmama. We made a pact before she died that she'd come back and let me know she was in heaven. And she mentioned the house and that this is her. And I freaked out. <laughs> I freaked wow. out completely. <laughs> Because I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm crazy. I'm nuts. I can't relate to the world. Because in those days, there was no one that was out there as a medium, really, that was well known. And mediumship wasn't really well known, per se, at that time. So I ran back to my small apartment I had in Hollywood, and I was freaking out because how could I tell anyone this? You know, they'd lock me up or what? I don't know what, what is going to do with my life. So I pulled that man, Brian Hurst, that, that man, the original medium, and I told him that my predicament. And he said, James, don't you remember the prediction from the spirit world? I said, huh? That you're going to be a medium in two years' time. He said, yes. He said, James, it's two <laughs> years exactly today. It was two years to the day when that happened. So that was the beginning. That was the very beginning of it. And he took me under his wing and he helped me to learn how to develop properly as a medium. And um, thank God for Brian. And uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Despite a lifetime of otherworldly experiences at this point, James was, as he said, freaked out. So I asked him, before this incident, what did he think happened to people when they died? I was raised Irish Catholic, of course, and um, my mother came from a big family. And so I'd go to funerals all the time as a kid. I mean, he calls for the, the principals, uh, your aunt died. Okay, you gotta go home. Three or four times that would happen within two years. So I'd go to funerals a lot. 
And I'll never forget that um, one of my aunts was laid out with the viewing, of course, in those days. And everyone was crying. I'd say, what are you crying about? She's standing right next to the box. What are you crying about? And uh, to this day, uh, my sister passed over two or three weeks ago. And um, it's so funny because she did some mediumship too. And we're at her wake, the viewing, and she came to me and she said, oh my God, this is not what it's like. She goes, this should not be done. She goes, I feel I've wasted everybody's time. She goes, you know, oh my gosh. She goes, that's, you know, that's not me, James. I said, I know that's not you. That's the meat suit. She goes, oh, I don't like their physical world anymore. Oh, thank God. And I've never had one person who I've communicated with in the spirit world ever say, boy, I really miss that physical human body. Oh, I miss that world. Oh, I miss that disease. I miss, I've never had that. Because this is not our natural world. This is our school. You know, the spirit realm is our natural place of life. That's really where life comes from. The idea of this world, this life as a school fits, doesn't it? All the tropes are there. The popular kids, the bullies, the geniuses, the cheaters, the misfits hovering on the fringe, never quite able or willing to play by the rules and fit in. The tests, the drills, the hierarchies, the casual cruelties, the feeling that everyone else has it figured out, and it's only you standing alone on the field, fearing that you'll never be picked to play. Every single day that we're given, everyone you meet on your path that day is either a student or a teacher. And I think if we live with that every day, that someone's a student or a teacher, and even if they're in a really bad mood and they yell at you, okay, what are they teaching you about yourself? How do you respond to that? Are you going to go to the emotional level, like knee-jerk reaction? Are you going to sit and wait and then respond? So it's really good to look at it that way. It certainly helps life much easier, I'll tell you that much. Oh, especially right now. Like, I'm by nature such an optimistic person. And the world is, the world is just punching me in the face. Boom, boom. I feel like Rocky. Cut me. Put me back in. Like, I'm just <laughs> overwhelmed and exhausted by it, you know? And I'm, I wrote that down, get in observational mood. And I agree with you that what's the what's the saying when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? The teacher appears, well, yeah. We always ready, think that, that that's going to be some wonderful, positive lesson. But sometimes you need a good ass kicking. And the teacher <laughs> appears to give you that to get your head right. And, and, and a really uh, a funny story, y'all. It's an interesting story. Um, uh, a gentleman I know who's a spiritual teacher now used to work on Wall Street. And I remember that um, the day of the uh, 9-11, he, um, he went to work. He went early and then he, he didn't stay at work. He went out and he walked to the corner. There's a homeless man with a sign and said, and the sign said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life at that moment? And then, of course, the trade, the wow. trade center went. But this, guy, this man's life was spared. So, and he remembered that moment. So there was a teacher right there. It was a homeless person with a teacher of his. And, of course, now he's teaching meditation throughout the world. So, I mean, wow. you never know where those teachers are going to be in your life. The ones that, and the people, the interesting one, too, the people in your life that cause you the most pain are your greatest teachers. Because, oh. really, they're just a reflection to yourself. So that outside world is really what's going on within you. So if something is, is bothering you from someone else, then I have to say, I have to look at myself and say, what's not whole within myself that that bothers me? What is it that's not connected there? Because it was come back to self. It's not someone else's fault. It's us. We're responsible for our own lives. And it's really the inner world is a reflection of the outer world. You know, what is? Or the outer world. I'm sorry. The outer world is a reflection outer of the inner world. world. I say it that way. That's really what it is. But yeah, people in your life that uh, you have the hardest time to with, 
They're your teachers, your greatest teachers. In 1997, James published the New York Times bestseller, Talking to Heaven. In it, he shares some of the sessions he's done with people in deep grief. The death of someone you love is the most brutal assault on your heart and your mind. What could be of greater comfort than to know, to really know that this person, this beloved isn't gone, that death isn't annihilation, but transition, that we are both flesh and spirit, that we are eternal. And if that's true, how is it that some of us, like James, can connect with that spirit world. As a medium, it's very, very different. And I have uh, many, many students and I will ask them, and I do psychic exercises with them and I do mediumistic exercises with them. And I'll ask them, what do you like better? Do you feel more comfortable with the, the psychic work, the intuitive work or the mediumistic? And it's interesting. Some love the psychic. It's easier, it's natural. And some just love the mediumship. Me personally, I prefer mediumship. It's harder, it's much harder than psychic because a medium you have to get to that point where you work with them the fact that mediumship is a discipline where you raise again you raise that vibration and you, you're raising vibration to a point where it's almost like uh, um with this geyser of water and you have to keep control of that that vibration that high vibration you have to stay there with your mind because in the mind as well as the mind the mind is the soul you have to keep that going that vibration at the same time listening to spirit come through and the funny thing is, which not a lot of people realize, that the spirit people have the same personalities they did on Earth. And if they weren't much of a talker on Earth, they certainly won't be in the spirit world. And sometimes you got to stay with that. You got to be. You got to hold that space for the spirit who might not have ever done this before. It might be brand new for them as well. So you, being the medium, have to open up that space for them as well. And you're working with the recipient. So you have three things going on: the recipient's energy, who's not sure what's going on, they might be frightened, they're not aware of this, they have certain expectation then you have the medium then you have the uh, spirit who's really trying to get through to the mind of the medium and the way they do that is they create a thought in their minds and they send that thought to the medium's mind so it's mind-to-mind -mind communication and then the medium hopefully will be able to pick up that personality and and be in that frequency so and i've been doing it so many many years for me it's like just a switch that i know i have to go to and turn on and and it happens not to say it doesn't always work, doesn't always work. And, you know, just, I'm human as well. But I've done so many, that pretty broad spectrum of, of all different types of personalities. So it's about energy, which, like matter, can only ever be transformed, not destroyed. That's straight up the law of thermodynamics. That's physics. It's the foundation of our understanding of the universe. Mediumship, if you will, psychic, we talked about earlier. It's more natural than people think. It's a very natural, instinctive thing. Like a medium, you know, what's the difference? Well, we're all mediums to a point because what is a medium? A soul. We're souls incarnate in this physical body, the meat suit, right? The mind is a soul. And the spirit people are souls outside the meat suit, but they still have the mind. So it's just mind-to-mind -mind communication. And it's just letting that human instrument, that human vessel that meets it, the mind, the, the, the brain part of ourselves, the critical mind, just rest, be still, so you can receive those frequencies from the spirit world. There's no reason why people can't do that. And it's always about what James feels he's called to do with this gift or ability of mediumship that he has. Being a medium, you feel. So I will say many times, they'll say, okay, the, and the spirit is sending it to me so strongly that I get it. So I'll feel sometimes the emotion behind it. 
and it's, it's the emotions. Like, okay, hold on. I, hold on, everybody. I'm feeling it. And I got to acknowledge from my audience, I am feeling this emotion. So I'll say, hold on a second. I just got to pause. Oh, I'm going to cry. And I have to. I have to honor that. But you have to get to a point where you can't let that overtake you because then you're not doing your job. And that comes with years of work, really. And I remember there's another thing I just wanted, if you don't mind me just sharing with you. No, no, when I was please. When I was teaching in Holland once in a, in a, uh, a school there, um, I remember I had a group of 10 students uh, that I was working with and they were doing some readings. And I said, okay, let, let's see how you bring them through and how, how do you relate to the audience? And one man stood up, he said, okay, I have a little boy here. He was hit by a car. It was terrible. His brains were splattered all over the street. His blood, the blood matter. And I said, stop. I said, stop right there. I said, how dare you do that? I said, that was a horrendous thing that happened that this boy died in a car accident. And the mother can be sitting right here, which by the way, she was. And I said, she went through that pain once. Why would you do that again to her? Because that then becomes more about the medium than the person. That that medium, because he just stood up and said, I have a young man here. He was hit by a vehicle, and that's how he died. Same thing could have come mm. through. You don't have to be overdramatic. That shows me that that medium is not confident in their ability. See, So it's a very fine line. And a big part of mediumship for me and for people that I teach is integrity and responsibility. You have integrity, you must have integrity and responsibility because you have people's lives in your hands that matter. You can destroy someone's life or build them up. And that's up to you. And you're healed, here to heal, not to hurt. So it's really, really important. And, I, and before we end, I want to say, if you don't mind, just jump off here because people often ask me, and I know you're going to because I'm psychic. <laughs> they ask me, out of all the readings you've done, thousands of readings, What's the most, and may, I don't know if you're going to ask this, what's the one that you remember the most? Which, uh, 40 years of doing this, it's hard to remember one particular one, but I do remember this one, which is really set with me. And I was uh, working at a demonstration a show in Miami, not Miami, sorry, Hawaii. It was in Maui, Hawaii, with the uh, Performing Arts Center there, about 200 people. And I remember it was at the end of the evening, the second hour, and there was a little spirit girl on the stage with me, jumping up and down in a pink dress, a blonde pigtails, and um, she was jumping up and she was like, today's my birthday, today's my birthday. And I said, oh, there's a young girl here, today's her third or fourth birthday. Pink dress described her. She wants to talk to her parents who are here for her birthday. And in the very back row is a couple. And they raise their hands, they stand up. And I said, she wants to say, daddy, thank you for the angel wings. I love my angel wings, I love my angel wings. Now this guy's a big bruiser, a big gym guy, and he, a big bruiser. He takes oh. off his t-shirt, he turns around to the audience, and his lats have two big angel wings that he had tattooed oh. on there for his daughter's birthday that we were there celebrating that night. <laughs> now that Oh, I'm going to cry. Right? Exactly. Everybody, that was the last reading of the evening because everybody felt that. And it goes to show that one reading can heal many. One of the fascinating things you discover talking to James or reading his books or attending a sitting is this. We are who we are in this life and beyond. And I don't know if that's awesome or depressing, but it does look like we have the power to shape that. And it's up to us either way. One, one thing I found, if you don't mind me just telling this story, which is kind of interesting, I was doing, um, and it just demonstrates how people are very much the same as they were on the earth. They are in the spirit world with the same belief systems. So I was doing a message for a girl in an auditorium and uh, probably a thousand people. And I remember her aunt came through and I gave information about her aunt to her that she understood. And as I'm communicating with her, I'm very aware of the side of my, my, out of my eyesight, that there's a spirit man coming closer to me and he had his arms folded. 
Now I knew that that was this girl in the audience's father that had passed, I just knew it. And I said to him telepathically, would you like to communicate with her? And this man said telepathically, why would I believe in this? I didn't believe in this in life, why I believe in it now? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So I said, that's okay. That's a, just watch us, observe us. And if you would just want to you know, come in every once in a while, you can. He watched, and he watched that the messages, the information made sense to the uh, to his daughter that the aunt was bringing through. And he found it more and more interesting that she was able to understand this. So he said, can I give it a shot? And I said, yes. And he started giving me information. She understood it. And to make a long story short, I'm gonna cry because it was a father asking her forgiveness because he said, please tell her I love her. I wasn't able to show love in life and I want to give her my love now. If the idea of hauling your baggage into the spirit realm isn't enough to make you rethink some choices, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, I'm not sure I want to spend all of eternity as an anxious, spooky girl, you know? And this is one of the points James makes. We're here to figure it out, to get as much right as we can, to learn, to grow, to do better and be better. I'm thinking about the story you just told about the the father who came through who didn't believe when he lived and he certainly wasn't going to believe now. Isn't that a trip? That happens a that lot, he, by the way. He, happens you know that lot. he Well, he wanted his daughter to know that he did love her. And I'm wondering was he was was fear the root of why he was unable to express that love? Did that fear did did, did he feel that that made him weak and somehow? I mean, do you do, are you ever able to glean that insight? All, all the time. And, and that, by the way, that's a common one. When they come through, when parents come through or whoever, family members come through, many times they talk, let's say parents will say, I didn't love you because I wasn't taught how to love. Or it might have been a generational thing where they weren't really, they didn't, they weren't very demonstrative. Um, I, my mother was, my grandmother was from Britain. And my father never really got the love that he wanted because he wasn't shown love because she didn't know how to show love. So how could he give something he didn't know what it was? So that's really what, and it's also, uh, sweetheart, a lot of like, you know, shoulda's, woulda's, coulda's. When we first pass over, we all have a life review and we review everything that's happened to us, with us, with other people. And we feel it from the other person's point of view, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times stronger. And we see the rippling effect that what we did, what we thought, and infected or affected that person and that person and that person. Oh my goodness. And it all came back to my one word, my one thought. And that's a tough one because you know, in this physical earth, when you we do something we don't feel good about, we go to the person like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But in the spirit world, when you have an eternity and you don't have a chance to come back and say, you know, I, I'm sorry, you're living in a mental vibration in the spirit world. So you live it over and over and over again in your head, in your, in your head. And to me, that can be hell. That can be your hell that you've created or your heaven. You've done things from a loving point of view and you try to do the best you could. That to me is fine. But you can imagine, and that's why mediums are used or are needed so much more because of many people who have regrets when they pass over and they need to get back to their loved ones and you know, apologize, say things to them. And that's why it's a much needed art. And speaking of fear, I asked James if he thought fear might be what drives skeptics to shout him and others like him down. Fear of being tricked or made foolish by a belief in things unseen or unknowable. Nobody likes to be played. Me? I'm here to believe in everything. Why not keep an open mind? Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
you know, they, they won't learn because they're closed-minded, but a cynic is someone who might, at least is open-minded. They might not believe in certain things, but they might be cynical, but they're open-minded. Where a skeptic is closed-minded, they won't learn. Well, so, just some, sometimes these people are just so afraid, like in the conversations that I've had with skeptics and debunkers, and it, it really comes down to, well, I, I'm afraid of, you know, somebody making a fool out of me, which I'm here to tell you, James, is the last of my fears. <laughs> like, yeah, of all really. the things to be scared of on the planet Earth, being foolish seems oh, low I, risk. I love making a fool out of myself so many times. I love making a fool out of myself. It makes people laugh. Yeah. But this idea, you know, that, you know, someone that someone might pull one over on you or someone might trick you or fool you. Um, and yeah. I think that 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 fearfulness, um, that fearfulness drives like so much of our own suffering and pain. And right. one so, thing um, I, what I say, which I, I'd love I'm going to kind of share this with you, which I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to share this. I always say life is a series of choices and all choices are based on two things, either love or fear. And that's all it is. So you get all these little complicated situations in your life. You can bring all the way down to its simplest uh, equation, which is love or fear. And it goes all the way back to childhood, love or fear. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. When you get to that young age, you start getting older and you people please. That's all fear based. I'm afraid they won't love me. I'm afraid I won't fit in. I'm afraid society won't love me. So it's all fear based. So it's either fear or love. And fear is F-E-A-R false ego appearing real and that's really and fear is a human emotion it's a human emotion it's not of the spirit world it's in the spirit world is pure love we are loving beings our soul makeup the property is love so you have this foreign element of fear and and it just gets into that whole pattern and then of fear and of control issues i can't control myself and the truth is we can never control other people we can't control situations all we can control is how we respond to various things that we can't control, but we can't control other people. We can just be ourselves. And again, live by our examples and not make people right or wrong, not judging because judgment is based on fear. And it's people judge others because they want to feel better than they want to feel in control. That's really what it's about. This is deep stuff. Every answer just creates a gazillion more questions. And one of the biggest ones for me was this. So I want to ask you a question, and um, um, you, if we get too far into the weeds, um, tell me. But it's something okay. that I, <laughs> something that I it, think it's about. It's such a big the topic. I mean, when the subject is so broad, so it's eternity. Yeah, in the soul. It's so eternity. it's hard. There you go. <laughs> it is. It is so hard. To, like when I thought about like all the things I wanted to talk to you about, I'm like, all right, how do I wrestle the soul and eternity down yeah, into something yeah. manageable? Here's and my you know, it's limited. It's really hard, right? So, you know, I, I personally believe in um, some form or flavor of reincarnation. And, and, yep. and I know that, you know, we, we have so many lessons to learn. But I'm, yep. I guess what I'm wondering is, how can someone... I know your question. Someone, how do you communicate with them if they've reincarnated? That's your question. If they've re <laughs> yeah, like, let's say that you've lost your... Um, like, my mom is living. But let's say I've lost my mom. And she's gone on to whatever is next. And she's living out that next set of lessons. How can you find her for me? How can you, how do we do that? And I know also that I am a small, hairless, talking monkey. And that my brain can't conceive of all the metaphysics involved. But how does that work? Right. So, so remember, we're limited to our three-dimensional laws, right? So we're really, really kind of in a box. And the truth of the matter is that this body that we have, 
only like about 20%, 25% of the soul is in this. 75% is outside the body and those other, the, the other realms. Now, we're just so aware of the small part of the 25%, but there's like 75% out there in different levels and ethers and realms interacting. And 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 I'd like to say, for me, the analogy I try to understand is the sun, like a sun, like each one of us is a sun. And the different rays of the sun kind of act out in other lifetimes. Right now, we're in several different lifetimes, not necessarily in this planet, could be other planets, other forms, other galaxies. There are millions of galaxies. So we're part of, we can be all over the place. So you're thinking in linear time, human time, where spirit is outside of linear time. So when we pass out of this physical realm, the other realms, you become more aware of your soul self, if you will. And you become more aware of this one personality of this human existence right now. You share that with those those soul groups, those, those that personality, those personalities, and they come together back again on the spirit side. So the personality of this lifetime, those personalities of your current soul group meet up again in the spirit levels, and they and they'll work out would have to work out that on those levels there. Not to say that right now they're not in different places having other what we call lives. Who knows what that form that takes either. Well, could it be a liquid form, air form? You know, I'm saying there's so many other existences than just this physical one. This is the smallest part of the soul, is the physical body. And I call it the big toe to the soul. So in that respect, you know, it, 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 we're everywhere all at once, if you will. And um, so the most important thing to remember is you, we are, there's an attraction to each other as far as the soul personality of this lifetime. And they will, they are there with you throughout the lifetime. Um, like your dad or like whoever went on, you know, they're probably guiding from the other side because they're here to help us because we're helping each other. So that's nothing we ever this have to worry I about. This yeah. idea of soul splitting, you'll see this a lot in the reincarnation literature, the idea that um, that we are, and, and you're right, linear time. I mean, we know that- sun, The sun is a great analogy, right? Because the sun yeah. is a light. So that's parts of the soul. Those can be all different lifetimes that we're having simultaneously all at once in different spaces and places, not just the physical world, but other planets and other galaxies. So that's a possibility. And I believe in quantum physics. I'm not an expert in quantum physics, so I can't talk about it much, but I do believe in space-time ratio and that where you can live in several places at once, things are moving all at the same time. I also believe, which is really interesting, and part of my course in past life regression, I've done a lot of past life regression, and I do believe that we can live, the moment we live here now, and I don't know enough about it, which I, I wish I did, but as we act now, our thoughts, our words, our deeds can affect our past lifetimes and our future lifetimes. So there you go with that. Don't ask me any more about that, but I believe no. that. I believe Max, will, Max will tell you, my director will tell you, like, I'm, I, I am so deep into um, quantum mechanics and quantum physics. Again, like a small, curious monkey. But, you know, and I so never, I always, than I do, but it's, it's, well, it's wild, isn't it? It's elusive, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I feel like just as I'm about to understand it, it's like mercury, it squirts away and I'm still chasing it. But the idea of, you know, for us as, as organisms, the arrow of time moving in just the one direction forward, but from a physics standpoint and a physical universe standpoint, the idea of time being circular and much more chaotic than our brains can understand you know and which yeah, brings no, us into like really the in, multiverse I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, einstein yeah. was real about energy knew about these things uh, really well was just actually 
hitting it, tipping the iceberg, and then he passed. But he was very into it. Read a couple of books on it in the quantum, the quantum field. But um, I just, you know, this is a good one. Let me just make maybe this will help a little bit with the reference. Uh, I was doing an event in uh, California once, and one of the audience members asked, um, from a spiritual point of view, where is the level of the human being? What what rung of the ladder are they on? And it's really interesting. These guides came to my side, and they said, "You human beings." And they didn't want, they weren't laughing, but but there was, was an interesting thing. He said, "Human beings are on the very lowest of the rank, one of the lowest rungs, because you still kill each other. You still don't use love, and you still kill. You don't respect life, which is interesting because we kill our own species." Now, really, we're all connected as one being. I really believe one. I had a near-death experience and experienced that whole oneness that we're all connected. And I got to tell you, it, it's once we get to the awareness that war, it doesn't help, it hurts us because we're hurting ourselves for it. We're really hurting ourselves. Um, there's, um, I, I like one, the word one, or the, yeah, that word one. I used it in one of my books because someone said, what is love? And I said, well, love to me is one. What does that mean? Well, one is, oh, omnipresent, nurturing energy. And that's what I think love is. Love is one. And we're all one. And I think we come back with different nationalities and speak differently and live in different countries. Really, again, to learn from each other. And I, I believe in God. People say, what about God? I said, well, I believe God is diversification. I believe God is everything, everything and everyone. And that not one person, one religion, own God. We all own God. We're all part of God. We're all that part of that source energy, whatever you want to call that. But I think that's what you learn from diversity. We, learn all the, we have so many opportunities to understand and learn and investigate. But we get so caught up in living in a box because we want to control our environment and living in fear. And that's the opposite of who we... And that's, I think, why we don't feel healthy here or feel connected because we're living in an environment of fear, which is not our fear. natural inclination. Our natural inclination is of love. And uh, I think that's part of the problem right there. Wow. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to sit with. A lot to understand. But, but maybe understanding isn't the right goal. Maybe our effort to pin the ineffable down, to turn it into simple formulas and recipes, is a distraction from the true work we're here to do. You know, the work of being decent, the work of compassion and empathy, the work of loving each other, yeah, but loving ourselves too. The work of seeing our eternal souls as creation itself and not just a byproduct. If we were able to see it that way, that might just change everything. Starting with how we think about death. I asked James if the experience of grief and loss is different for him, since he knows and believes that there's a life beyond this one. Um, it's a great question. Number one, I got to say, because because of my background, like you mentioned, but also had some incredible experience, incredible life experiences where I was uh, fortunate enough to sit with other mediums and the last one I sat with, the physical medium, Leslie Flint, who was probably the best known physical medium, where there's actually there's an actual um, substance called ectoplasm that exudes from the ears and mouth, and Leslie, that's where they came from. And they would create, the spirit people would create an artificial voice box in the air. And the spirit would speak to that larynx, that artificial larynx, and it would sound just like they did on Earth. And you can go online to Leslie Flint, they have all of the transcripts, because they were the lovely scientist couple, um, Betty, uh, Betty Woods and her husband, and they taped reel to reel all these sessions, 1950s and 60s. And um, I was fortunate that my mother came through with her voice 
and I still have the cassette. And I mean, there's no way. I mean, it was it was life after death that that's proved. And I so I have that that, and I've had some incredible experiences with mediums from Brazil, and my own experiences, of course, too. So, yeah, I guess so. I I know that's our home, and and I know that we are we have to be in this human school, this physical school, for reasons to learn, to uh, help other, teach other people, help other people to understand. But we can't take it all so seriously because it's just it's just a school. And um, as I get older, and I think maybe this comes as age, physical things don't matter as much to me anymore. Even like you know, even physical belongings like clothes and on, on articles and things like that. That's nice. I appreciate it for while we're here, but I know there's so much more. And and I really want a part of that comes into I use that in my daily life. In that I know there's so much more. I know there's pure love over there. Uh, I know fear is a human emotion, but a lot of people live in fear. A lot of people walk uh, unconsciously. A lot of people sleepwalk. And I find for me, as part of my goofy sense of humor and kind of a test, whenever there's energy, you walk into like a store or a certain place, and people are not there they're not connected with you there's not no empathy there's not a smile i'll look up differently how are you today and i'll change the energy because i want them to feel love i want them to change that one word might change their whole day and for me i think that's important so i do that now and i have the perspective that you know tomorrow might be your last day so do the best you can today and there was no way i wasn't going to ask the question that's always puzzled me when it comes to the idea of talking to heaven of communicating with those we've lost James, something that I've always um, wondered about and struggled with, and I, I'm really anxious to hear your perspective on this. Um, some of the people that I know who profess the most um, profound faith in God and the soul and the hereafter are also the most skeptical and angry when confronted <laughs> with a person like you. And it seems like, wait, 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 y'all, y'all telling me all the time about Father God. And here's, here's somebody that's going to bring you the good news, literally like the hope. And you're, you're telling me he's fake, he's fraud. It's how do you, how do you reconcile that? Because it seems like, why, like, how do you hold these two opposing beliefs that there is more to it than the meat suit? And yet when someone brings you the news that there's more, that can't be true. Well, that's their truth, not my truth. So that's not that's not my monkey. <laughs> not exactly. My it's, exactly. I, you know, I was the first what one. You... I was the very first meat one out there with all the skeptics. I, I really was. I was the very first one who took all those bullets from those skeptics because I didn't know what a skeptic was. I mean, I was doing, um, gosh, what show was it? It was um, Unsolved Mysteries. And I, I did this group reading. I knew nothing about it. I, the girls wanted to do this group reading. Okay. So I sat there and... Um, there was, uh, was like 10 people. And I remember specifically there was a reading that came, the session, one person came through, it was a young boy who was killed and he was shot up. And I said, oh, there are several bullets here. He's killed like corner, three corner, like a gang thing. And his name was Kevin. And he's saying to the mother and father, go, mother, um, you don't, your, your husband's sitting across from you. You're not sitting, he wants to know why you're not sitting together. Anyway, after that, they had a man by the name Michael Shermer, who's from the Skeptical Choir magazine, I guess. And they asked him, well, what do you think? Oh, come on. He, she was wearing the letter K on her around her neck, and that, of course, could be her son's name. Would be Kevin, the more common. Really, <laughs> really. And and uh, what about the, what about um, the bullets? Well, you know, nowadays kids, kids means rational these these weird answers. Then explain why that James able to say they're sitting across from each other. That was good luck. I'm like what? 
So, you know, it, it's it's so funny. You, you can't you can't change people's minds. You just got to be who you are. I was once on Larry King, or no, it wasn't Larry King. It was another show. I was on with John Edward when John Edward of Crossing Over he first started. And I asked John to be on a, a show with me with guests because it was a, a man by the name of Amazing Randy, and on it, who was a magician, skeptical guy. And they asked John, said John, what do you think of Amazing Randy? And John said. Anybody who puts an adjective before the first name, I don't give a lot of credence to. <laughs> so, you know, everybody has a right to believe. In the Bible, it says my father has a house with many mansions. And what I believe that to be the many spiritual levels which exist of awareness. And remember, we're here on this earth world, the soul earth world, the school, soul school. We are in a school of people that are very, very um, unenlightened. They're baby souls just starting out in nursery, nursery school. They believe in war and money and hate and power. And then you have the postgraduate souls that believe in healing and love, compassion, forgiveness. And then you have all the souls in the middle grades. You have all those. So that puts us all together in one place. So of course, but the reason why that is, it really produces various scenarios for us to be involved in and to learn from, if you will. So you're always going to have those people that, you know, don't believe certainly you do, which is part of the world we're in right now, for this human world. And that's okay. That's who they are. From where James sits, there's no controversy. It's not even all that complicated. Everyone's right to believe the way you want to believe, but don't push your stuff on me. I won't push my stuff on you. You know, you just got to live by example. And and also, this is interesting. Many of my clients who have these wonderful experiences, great readings on here. Oh, I got to go home and tell my husband. I got to go. He won't believe it. I just got to tell him though. Or they want to force the spirituality on them. I said, listen, they might not be ready for it. All you can do is say, you know, I, I had a dream of your dad last night. And this is what he said. Because everybody can relate to a dream because we all have had that same experience of a dream. Or you could just plant little seeds. And when that soul is ready to let, let, let them uh, fertilize and grow, they will. But we can't force it on people. We just got to be ourselves and be the example of what we want in the world. I do believe that we should be the example of what we want in the world. And if you've ever wondered what a guy who can talk to the dead thinks about his own mortality when your own death draws near, do you have well, any I'm looking forward to or that. any thoughts? I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I just can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking really forward to the party, to the to time. Um, I, you know, and the funny thing is I feel like I've done... I feel at this moment, I turned 60, 60 years old. I remember, it was four years ago, and I felt, and it wasn't something I was looking for, it just naturally came through to me. I just felt I've accomplished what I came back for. I really do, I feel like I've accomplished what I came back for. And I, I just wanna spend the rest of my life, um, I have a school online, the JP School of Mystical Arts, which is my legacy. So I wanna leave people with that. And also I just want, um, you know, to um, God for the rest of my life to, bring love and happiness and joy. And I'll never get over changing people's lives. You know, that that little thing about the light bulb above people's head, and they get it. When I do readings, I kind of see that. It's not a light bulb, but it's a light. And it really gets, it's an aha moment for those people. And I love doing that. However, whatever medium that means, whether it's teaching or doing readings or writing books or doing shows like yours, however I can do that, that's my passion to help people, to help people remember who they are. I can't think of anything more delightful than to have someone tell me, I feel like my work here is done. It's kind of all gravy now, having a good time, looking forward to what comes next. I mean, so many yeah, like so that. many people like are that. burdened with this crushing fear of death, a fear of death so heavy that it, it drains the joy from life. I mean, so many people are grappling with that. 
But that comes, you know, there comes a secret to this in that you know, everybody should live moment to moment. You know, the past has already happened, so don't look in the rearview mirror. That's already gone. The future is yet to be. So live fully in this moment now, because it's all we have, really. And if one lives like that, and they have no should-haves, would-haves, or could-haves, they've resolved things, they've told people, I love you, please forgive me, whatever that means. I, I think if one has, um, I, I believe the definition of a successful life is when someone leaves the body at the end of their life, physical life, and they can look back, and the world is a better place than when they first found it. That, to me, is a successful life. And that's what I hope for everybody. I, you know, um, this is a weird moment because I'm like, on the one hand, like, I hope you have a really good long life. And on the other hand, like, I know you have other things to do in the next plane. So I don't know what to wish for here. Well, well, I'll put it this way. I'm not looking, I mean, I'm not ready to go tomorrow. I have a lot of things to do. Right, I still got right. to, you know, uh, uh, unpack some clothes. And <laughs> no, but I'm content. I'll say I'm content. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm content. And I guess with my sister's death, which is very interesting too, because there's a part of you like, whoa, part of you as a sibling, I've never, I've never lost a sibling. There's part of you which is like pulled out, which is really interesting. That was really interesting. And she was mediumistic herself. So um, very, very interesting. But life, you know, if you live your life, realize that this is just the illusion. And it doesn't matter what matters, how you treat people, how you behave, how you make someone else's life better than they know it. You know, the hardest part of my job, I always say, is when I meet somebody and I see the abilities, their gifts, their abilities in their soul, and they won't see it for themselves. That's the hard thing. Talking to dead people is easy, but when getting through to people, but their own gifts, their own abilities, and they don't see it for themselves, that to me is the hardest thing. If you're curious and want to know more, James is hosting an online workshop on May 30th, 2023. It's a free video event. If you're all about uncovering the true essence of your soul, about exploring your capacity to communicate with souls on the other side, this might just blow your mind. James told us that we all have the innate instinctual gifts of intuition and psychic awareness and even mediumship. So why not take the journey, right? What do you have to lose? Other than, you know, that paralyzing fear of death. You can learn more about James and the work he does at www theshiftnetwork.com and hopefully before we meet on the other side we'll see you next time on true weird stuff headed to the beach we've got a shark tale for you and this monster of the deep makes jaws look like finding nemo and if you listen to us on apple podcast hit the plus button in the top right corner and now it helps an independent podcast like ours to get discovered and we really appreciate it if you subscribe rate and review true weird stuff hit our website trueweirdstuff.com for show notes and photos and videos when we have it and bonus content everything true weird is waiting for you at trueweirdstuff.com and follow True Weird Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. True Weird Stuff is a Now Media production. Our executive producer is Anthony Garcia. The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlin. True Weird original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Zane Nash. Copyright 2023, Now Media, all rights reserved, all wrongs remembered. 